I'm so glad that you're here because I do, I do want us to, uh, to look back. You know, we, we looked back at 160 years. Then last week we looked forward. What's next? Today I want us to look back again, but not 160 years. I want us to look back 15 years. This, this still just kind of blows my mind when I think about it. But did you realize that we had the formal dedication of this sanctuary 15 years ago? Many of us still refer to this as the new sanctuary. And it's 15 years ago. In 2002, we finally kind of completed the, the work um, the first service that was ever held here was held in this room before the work had been completed. We didn't have carpet. We didn't have the flooring. Um, paint wasn't done. But we reached September 11, and it was the one-year anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And so it was important to us to open the doors and have the community come together. And so we set up folding chairs and we had, a, um, we had a community gathering here. That was the first service ever held in this building. Then, uh, not long after that, we started worshiping here and the first worship service was November 17 of 02. Just a few months after that, once we got into 03, it's February of 03 that we finally held the formal dedication service. And on that day, we, uh, we, had, a, we had a big time. Uh, we set in place the uh, time capsule that is out in the foyer. Perhaps you've seen the plaque on the wall that, that uh, designates where that time capsule is. Um, and just outside uh, in the flower bed close to the, the uh, sidewalk, uh, we kind of unveiled the, the, the cornerstone out there. That cornerstone has the words to a song that was written by our uh, music minister at the time, Jim Kumahata, wrote a song for our church. Uh, at that time, our motto was whatever it takes because we were trying to build and and we had to make sacrifices, and so he wrote a song called Whatever It Takes. We will build his kingdom, whatever it takes. And that's on that cornerstone out there. It was a, it was a big day. We did a lot of really neat things, and we had a good time together. And on that day, we looked at John 15 and verse 5. And now, 15 years later, I want us to go back and look at it again. John chapter 15 at verse 5. When we built the sanctuary, um, we, wanted to, we wanted to kind of symbolize, if you will, who we are as a church. And so we did that in a couple of ways. We knew that we wanted our worship style to be somewhat blended so instead of splitting the congregation into two or three different times where you have uh, contemporary worship and then traditional worship and then rock and roll for Jesus, uh, 
we wanted to keep everybody together and kind of blend our worship style. So we'll sing some choruses and we'll sing some hymns and maybe next week we'll sing a hymn first and then throw a chorus in toward the end and you know, however it works, but we try to kind of keep a balance there. And we wanted the sanctuary to demonstrate who we are, even in that balance. And so the, uh, uh, the, the architecture, particularly the ceiling with the rafters and the wood, represents our traditional uh, worship style, our traditional um, uh, important, the, the importance of our tradition, I should say, that way. Um, but then the way that the pews are laid out at that time, remember 15 years ago, the way the pews are laid out is much more contemporary style. And we, we brought the uh, platform kind of out among the, the pews. So it's almost like kind of being in, in the round. That's a more of a contemporary set. So even the, the room itself tried to express who we are. Another way that we did that was in the, uh, the decor. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever noticed around the baptistry and the cross in the baptistry, there is the, the grapevine motif. The grapevines run up and down on each side of the baptistry and uh, across the, the cross itself. We have the same motif around the, the pulpit where there's a, a grapevine there. When we first got started with that, man, we put grapevines everywhere. We had, we had uh, pictures in the hallway and we had little trinkets in the bathrooms and we had grapevine dish towels in the kitchen. And I mean, everywhere you look, it was grapes. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I, I think that was a wonderful thing. But over 15 years, those things kind of end up disappearing and going away and breaking and whatever. So I thought it would be important for us today to revisit why we chose the grapevine theme to express who we are. There are many uh, excellent pictures of the church in the New Testament. There are a lot of good symbols of the church. One of them that I think is often overlooked by others, but we have embraced is I believe the grapevine is a picture of the church. It demonstrates who we are. And I want to show you that again this morning. So by now you've had time to find John chapter 15. And as you went to John chapter 15, I hope that one of those mental bookmarks that we talk about from time to time, I hope one of those mental bookmarks kind of jumped up for you because you know that, that John chapter 14... 15, 16, and 17. All of those chapters are describing the last night that Jesus had with his disciples. John 14, 15, 16, and 17. That's all one big evening described for us. And so what we have here is some of the last words that Jesus wanted to leave with his disciples. Some of the most important things that he wanted to say to them. He says in John 15 at verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. By the way, every once in a while someone will try to get on Wi-Fi and say, what's the Wi-Fi password? The Wi-Fi password is what? Do you know? Branches. Why? Because he is the vine. We are the branches. 
That's why we use that, to remind us of who we are. He says in 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As we remind ourselves of that great text, we notice first of all that he is the vine and we are the branches. Now, when he said that, he did not have in his mind what most of us in Texas have in our minds when we think of a vine. Usually when someone says the word vine around here, we think of those annoying plants that get all up in your flower bed and they start to crawl up the wall. The vine that he's talking about is not some thin little flimsy green thing that you want to get rid of. When he says vine, he's using a word, he's talking about the grapevine, and they are familiar with it. And this is a, very, this is a twisted uh, uh, conglomeration of wood, if you would. And the vine can be actually very large. It can, it can grow together to look like the trunk of a tree. He says, I am that base, that foundation, that trunk of what will be the grapevine. You are the branches. Now the branches are what most of us think of when we hear that word vine. The branches of the grapevine can run for, for many, many, many feet, many yards sometimes. And so you've seen them in vineyards, how they stretch those things out. He says, I'm the foundation. I'm the, I'm the stem, I'm the, the, the trunk. You are the branches. You're the ones who go out into the world. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I think that's a beautiful picture of the church, and I want to show you some reasons why. This is why the vine and the branches is a beautiful example or picture of the church. Here are a few reasons. One is that it reminds us that the church is a living entity. We, we cannot make the mistake of thinking that the church is an organization, a group of people, just like the Kiwanis Club, or just like the VFW. All of those are great organizations, but they are organizations. They are groups of people. The church is different than that. We are not just a group of people. We are actually a living entity. That's why Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ. It is a living entity. We are the organs and the appendages that have been put together in a living body. We literally are the physical presence of Christ in the world today. We are his physical body. So the, the, the vine and the branches reminds us that the church is a living entity. It also reminds us that Christ is the source of life. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you take that branch away from the vine, what will happen to the branch? It's going to die. It's going to dry up. It's going to wither away. Because the vine is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life for the church. He, he told us why he came. Do you remember what he said? John 10, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 
He came. He is the source of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, help me out, the what? The life. You see, He is the vine because He is the source of life. Without that vine, the branches are dead. And so Paul says, before you came to Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It is only when you get connected to Christ that you really find life. And so this is a picture of the church. Not only that, but another reason this is a good, beautiful picture of the church is that it reminds us that Christ directs the church. If the vine is growing over here, the branch cannot be connected to the vine and decide to get its start and take its journey over here. The vine directs the branches because it determines how and when and where those branches should begin and where they should take their journey. You see, in that way, Christ directs the church. You and I say so often, and, and really there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not over-preaching here, but I just want to make a point. We say, this is my church. Which church do you go to? Oh, my church is on the corner. Technically, we're not saying it correctly, are we? Because this isn't our church. You're not the head of this church. I'm not the head of this church. Christ is the head of the church. He directs the church. This is His. We are His branches. Another reason that this is such a beautiful picture of the church and the reason that we've chosen it for our motif, is, if you will, is that Christ unifies believers. Again, all of those branches... If, if, the, um, if, if the one who is keeping the vineyard, if he, if he directs the, or if he sets up the, uh, the, the trail, then the, the, the branch may go that way, or the branch, this branch may go that way, or this one may go that way. The, the branches may go in different directions, but they are held together by one vine. Christ unites the believers. You and I live very different lives. We get up at different times. We do different things during the day. We see the world through different filters. That's why some of you vote the wrong way. <laughs> we see the world differently. We hear things differently. We experience life differently. But we are united in the fact that we are all branches held together by Jesus Christ. He is the vine that holds the branches, that unites the branches together. Another reason this is a great picture of the church is because the church bears fruit. Now when we talk about bearing fruit... If, if you want to think of it in terms of productivity, the church bearing fruit simply means that the church does something, produces something. 
that the church makes a difference in the kingdom. That fruit is not only people who come to know the Lord, but it is also the opportunities that people have to recognize God. It is the, the chance to glorify God. It's the fact that the church is the salt and the light in the world. We're doing something. The church is not just here because good Americans have churches. The church is here to make a difference in this world. And, and the church bears fruit when the branches are connected to the vine in a healthy way. And then one other reason that this is a really good picture of the church is because it reminds us that the church is about Him. Folks, we are just the branches. It's not about getting your way. It's, it, it's not about making sure you're happy and you're comfortable. And, and it's not really about you. Not about me. Not about the deacons. Not about the women's ministry. Not about the Sunday school or the small groups. It's about Jesus Christ. You see? It's not about the branches. Because the branches are merely extensions of the vine. You and I are His hands and His feet, but He is the head of the church. This... This picture of the, the vine and the branches reminds us that, he, that, that church is about Him. So we, we read in this text, first of all, that He is the vine, we are the branches. And then we notice as we read that the key is abiding. Did you hear that in His words there? He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. The one who abides in him, and he abides with the one. That's where, that's where all this takes place. What does it mean to abide? If, um, if you come over to my house, you come over to my house this evening, and no, that's not an invitation. If you come over to my house this evening, you're going to sit, we're going to visit, we're going to, we may play a game, we may have dinner, we may watch TV, we may watch it, whatever. Eventually, it's time for you to go home. Why? Because you don't live there. Abiding is living there. You're just visiting when you come to my house, but I abide. That's why we call it the abode that's where I abide. That's where I live. That's where I stay. Abiding in Christ means so much more than visiting Him on Sunday morning. Abiding in Christ is living in His presence. Abiding in Him says, I would not know who I was unless I was in Christ. It's staying. And so the key to bearing fruit, he says, is if you abide in me, you stay with me, you remain, you live in me, 
then you're going to find a place of power, a place of beauty, a place of purpose, a place of meaning. You're going to find life itself. And when that happens, your life becomes purposeful. You bear fruit. You make a difference in the world around you. That happens when we abide. In John 17, again, that last night he's with them. In John 17, he prays what we call the high priestly prayer. I wish we called it the Lord's Prayer. But in John 17, he said, now this is life. He's praying. Now this is eternal life. That they know you. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, this is life, real life, eternal life. That they know you. That's how life happens. Abiding in Him. He prays, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Where do we find life? In abiding in Him. Have you ever put your foot in your mouth? We all have, right? I remember one of the, one of the, the, the times that I was home during my seminary days. Um, there's an amazing thing that happens to some college students and even to some seminarians. We all of a sudden know everything. And I knew everything. And I went home and I was, I was talking around the, the dinner table there with my family. And I was kind of showing off and complaining about hymns that have bad theology. And my mother, I think it was my mother, somebody said, well, what is one of those hymns that has bad theology? And without even hardly giving it a thought, I said, in the garden. And the room went silent. Everybody seemed to look at my mother when I said in the garden was bad theology. And even a guy who knows everything can pick up on the fact that everybody's looking at mom because John just messed up. In the garden, probably her favorite hymn. At least one of them. Now, I remember growing up as a kid, hearing her sing in the garden as she did kitchen work and did things around the house, talking about how, how important and meaningful it is to be with Jesus. I thought about why I said that it was bad theology, and the reason is I heard a professor say it. And the point that the professor was making was that in the garden can at times be a little selfish. He walks with me. He talks with me. He showed up in my garden to see me. And we can take it too far and make it about me. But what I completely missed was the beautiful testimony of the song. He is willing to talk to me. He is willing to walk with me. 
It's the same thing that David said. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I that you would even think of me? And yet you allow me to abide with you? It's amazing. You see, the key is in the abiding. Christ is not a theory. He's not a principle. He's not a religion. He is a person. He reveals his personality to us so that we can know him. Well, I'm about two-thirds through my message and I'm all out of time. So let me just finish very quickly. He is the vine, we're the branches. The key to making that work is in the abiding, in the relationship that we have with him. So how do we do that? How do we abide? And the short answer is that the disciplines get us started. The disciplines get us started. What do I mean by disciplines? Read the Bible, pray, attend worship, serve others. The disciplines, taking time to be still and silent before God, the disciplines, they get us started. But you can practice the disciplines for years and never truly abide. The disciplines get us started. But then there is that deep commitment. I want to be with you. I can't get enough of you. It's the, it's the testimony of the psalmist. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When's the last time you were hungry for God? When's the last time you thirsted for more of him? The last time you were not comfortable and not settled in your relationship with him because it wasn't enough yet. That's where abiding happens. Where I can't get enough. I can't give enough. I can't be close enough. I want more of him. That's where we learn to abide. And then finally, we hear in our text that without him, we can do nothing. He said to us, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who abides in me, it is he who bears much fruit. And then he concludes it by saying, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You take that branch away from the vine, it's not going to be long till that branch has no fruit at all and therefore has no purpose. Apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. Remember, Paul said we're dead in our trespasses and sin without him. And so he says, come unto me. That's his invitation. Come unto me. You notice Jesus never called someone to follow a religion. He never called someone to a checklist of things to do. His call was, come. 
He invites us to connect with Him so that He is the vine and we become the branches. And it is in that relationship and in that abiding that now we have purpose, that now we bear fruit. And without Him, we can do nothing. In this same chapter, just a few verses later at verse 8, it says, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do people know that you are a disciple of Christ? They see the fruit, the product. They see that you are making a difference in the world around you for his glory. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible.